Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. On a Sabbath, while he is going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Work and employment, it's a pretty big issue at the moment in Australia. You you can't get your car fixed because there's not enough mechanics around. You can't get your house built because there aren't enough builders around. Uh, You can't source the products that you want to buy because factories can't get enough workers. Hospitals can't get enough nurses. Schools can't get enough teachers. Uh, When it comes to work, our nation, it's at a place that I've never seen it before. So for me, for most of my wage-earning life, the unemployment rate has not been under 6% for most of it. And for quite a number of years, at at what were probably the, I guess, the formative years of my understanding wage-earning life, um, unemployment at that stage was sitting around about 10% and got up to almost 11%. The unemployment rate today, at least when I wrote this message, was about 3.5%, although I did hear that on the news that it's now gone up to 3.7%. And when unemployment gets that low, the only people who are not working are either those who cannot work because of health issues or whatever, or those who do not want to work, or those who are not willing to move to where there is work. Employers are screaming out for workers and they just can't get them. And wages are climbing rapidly. Why? Because it's all supply and demand. A good worker, you've got to pay him well to get him and you've got to pay him well to keep him. And because we're so short of workers, those who do work are working more and more hours. Now, at the same time, I've heard news items over the last few months, there's certain segments of the community and some unions pushing for a four-day working week so that we can all have a long weekend every weekend. Who would enjoy that? We say we would. We say we would. Hmm. But the statistics sort of show us differently. 
workers choose to work long hours. I couldn't find any more recent data because it's all been skewed by COVID, but in 2019, 19% of male employees worked 45 to 59 hours a week. Right? That, they aren't people who are looking for a four-day working week. And nearly 9% worked for more than 60 hours a week. Now, the thing is, some of us might be sitting here thinking, ah, oh, 60 hours a week, wimps, huh, try working 70 hours a week. That's what I do every week. Is there anybody there thinking along those lines? Nobody's going to confess it. Nobody's going to confess it. In Australia, one of the most common greetings isn't g'day, mate. One of the, well, it probably is one of the most common greetings, but, but another one is, how you going? Busy? Oh, yeah, I'm busy, all right. Yeah. Has anybody greeted that way this week? Did, put up your hand if you were greeted that way. One, two, three. Yep, me too. I was greeted that way too. You, you might have even greeted somebody else. How you going? Busy? Oh, yeah. Busy, all right. Um, it's become a badge of honour. Yeah, I'm really busy. Now, a number of years ago, I decided that I was going to unpin and take off that prideful badge of I'm just as hard a worker as what you are, or I work just as many or more hours than what you do. And from then on, whenever somebody says to me, how are you going, busy? I go, eh, only as busy as I want to be. And some folk just don't know what to do with that. It's sort of like they're really uncomfortable with any answer other than that expected prideful answer of, oh, yeah, I'm so busy, so busy. Um, now, having said that, in any job, there are times when we do get busy. That's, that's just the, the fact of life, and that's the way things are. So when I was farming, you know what? Planting time, it's a busy time. Harvest time, it's a busy time. And, and, but that's okay, because it all works out in the end. And, and even as a pastor, if I have a wedding or a funeral thrown into the mix of a normal week, I get busy. I have to work more than one day that week. I get busy. And, and at those times, if somebody says to me, oh, how are you going, busy? I say, yeah, well, I usually, I usually try not to be busy, but I do have a big week this week. For some, it is really hard to not be busy all of the time. And for some, it's really hard not to wear that ticket of pride. Oh yeah, I am so busy. For some of us, it's hard not to feel guilty. Feel guilty because there's work that's got to be done and I'm not doing it. Or I've actually got some spare time at the moment. What am I going to do? I'm supposed to be busy. And, and, and if I'm not busy, are my mates going to think that I'm lazy because I'm not working today? Or is my dad going to think I'm a slacker because he, he brought me up not to be a slacker? And for those who are employers, you might think, my employees are going to think that I'm lazy. I, I'm the boss. I, I have to lead by example. I have to work harder than anybody else. You know what? When a person approaches the end of their life, I cannot remember a time when anyone has ever expressed to me regrets that they have that, it, that they didn't spend more time working. Or well, they've never said to me, gee, I, I wish I'd done more overtime. 
I've never heard anyone say, oh, I wish I'd increased the size of my enterprise so that I could have been that bit busier. What do people regret? I didn't spend enough time with the family. I didn't take time out to enjoy the world that God created. I was always too busy. And, and when others needed me, I weren't there for them. Well, I, was, I kept myself so busy that I wasn't able to serve God in the ways that I now wish I, I had of. Now, having said that, my job today as a Bible teacher isn't to talk to you about sociology. And we've actually been doing that. We've talked about society and the place that we're at. It's not my job to teach you statistics, but we've actually done that to get a bit of a round the, lay the ground. It's not my job to teach you about industrial relations. It's not even my job to tell you about the things that you might regret when you get older. And it's not even my job to help you find your best work-life balance. My task today is to teach the Word of God. And guess what? God's Word says a lot on this issue. It's a major area of our life. So in the Bible reading today, the topic that is glaringly obvious is the Sabbath. So let's talk about the Sabbath. Let's talk about resting from work. By the way, I have heard quite a number of sermons on the topic, on the seventh day you shall rest. I haven't heard as many sermons on for six days you shall work. Now, I suspect there's a reason for that. There may be some folk who need the sermon on for six days you shall work, but most people I know don't need to be told to work. Most people I know need to be told to rest. And so that's what the message is going to be on today. When God created the universe, he worked for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And so God blessed that seventh day and made it holy. The Lord sets the pattern right there in the first two chapters of Genesis. Six days of work, one day of rest, a holy day. But the first time that, that a commandment is given in relation to the Sabbath is after the enslaved people of Israel are led out of Egypt. They get hungry. And, and God sends them manna and quail to eat in the desert. And the, on the sixth day, they have to gather twice as much because they're not going to get any on the seventh. And so the two things that the Sabbath reminds us of is one, the creative work of God, and two, the saving hand of God. God rested on the seventh day. Remember creation. Keep that day holy for God. God saved the Israelites out of slavery. And as such, the Sabbath is a reminder that we are not slaves. We're not slaves to work. And that's why Mark, in his account of the same incident, the same incident that Jesus had with the Pharisees, in the Gospel of Mark chapter 2, he says, The Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. We should be no more slaves to the Sabbath than what we are to work. Now, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was a sign of the covenant. Uh, people from other nations could look and tell, these are the people of God. Look, look at those people. They don't work on a Saturday. 
they rest and they keep that day holy. They must be the people of God. Now for them, for the people of Israel, it was a custom, it was a tradition, it was a law, it was actually a commandment of God that they had to obey. But Jesus is very clear that, that while the Sabbath is a commandment of God, the Sabbath is for us. The Sabbath is not to rule over us. To keep the Sabbath is to keep it holy. The prophets of old would preached against Israel because they had profaned the Sabbath. They did not keep it holy. So, not having to work every day of the week is a gift from God. Does anyone enjoy that gift? Put up your hand if you enjoy that gift, that you do not have to work every single day of the week. Most of you do enjoy that gift. Why is it then that so many of us try to outwork God? We think we have that capacity to outwork God. You know what, it's not only the number of days we work, it's the length of days we work. The Lord regulated our days by giving a certain number of hours of daylight and a certain number of hours of darkness. And yet we want to work longer. So we invented things called lights. And so we turn the lights on and we start earlier. And then we work through the day. And then at the end of the day, we turn the lights on again and we work into the evening. Um, now, as I said, there's times when we all get busy. There's times when you will have to start early under the lights and there's times when you will finish early, late under lights. But if you find that you are starting under the lights every day, and finishing under lights every day, then maybe you should get into your mind the idea that, hey, maybe I might actually be working longer days than God wants me to work. It's as if we think that God has misjudged the length that a day should be. By the way, I think I've told you this before. We, we used to have a neighbour, um, and he would only ever employ people in summertime because he paid his workers by the day and he couldn't get enough, enough work out of them in, in wintertime because the days were too short. And so he'd employ them during summer and then come winter he'd give them the sack and employ some more again next summer. But what drives us to work and work and work? What is it that does that? Is it greed? I, I, I want to earn more money. I can do more overtime. That gives me more, more money. Or is it to establish our business? You know, I, I really, really want this business to be successful. Or is it pride? I can't leave things undone. It's not finished. I, I can't let people down. I, I don't want to turn work away. I've, I've got to take it all on. Uh, I've, I've got to be capable. And I don't want people thinking that I'm lazy. Or is it an expectation that we're trying to live up to? an expectation that somebody else puts upon us or an expectation that we have upon ourselves, whether it be a real expectation or a perceived expectation. We're just worried that somebody might have that expectation. What is it that drives us to, to work and work and work? Well, let me tell you, it's not God's expectation. And he's the only one who counts. 
What's God's expectation? Sabbath is a day of rest. Sabbath is a day holy to the Lord. It's a day of worship. It's actually a day to enjoy fellowship. And that's why it's no surprise that the early church began meeting on what they called the Lord's Day, Sunday. You do know, don't you, that the official Jewish Sabbath is a Saturday, but it actually begins Friday night. So at sundown on Friday through until sundown on Saturday, that's the official Sabbath. But throughout the world, most Christian churches choose Sunday as that day of rest. And we're quite free to do that. The Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians that we have been made alive in Christ and that the debt of sin has been cancelled and that we're not to let asceticism tie us up. Asceticism, that's a big word. What's asceticism? Asceticism is a pedantic legal rule-keeping just for the sake of rules, to beat us up and, and make things difficult for us. And he says in, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Who, who do we let pass judgment on us? No one in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. He's talking about the religious ceremonies and the religious requirements of the law. And then verse 17, he says, these are a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to Christ. So the Sabbath is a gift, but sometimes it gets used as a rule to oppress. And that brings us to our Bible reading. So um, I grew up on a wheat farm. So for me, around harvest time, there's nothing better than to pick a few heads of wheat, rub it out in your hands, and then blow the husk out. Or if it's a breezy day, you just drop it from one hand to the other and the wind takes the husk out itself, and then eat that grain. And if it's really good quality, good, hard, high-protein wheat, as you crack down on it and crunch away, if, as long as your teeth are good and strong, um, it sort of turns, and you keep chewing on it, it sort of turns into a chewing gum type thing. Does, that, does anyone do this? Three of us do it. Three of us do it. I love it. I love it. It's like wheat-flavoured chewing gum. And you just keep crunch, 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 crunch. Now, that's pretty much what the disciples were doing. Is that work? Tell you what, I've never considered that work. I, I don't think Dad would have, when I used to work for my dad, I don't think he would have paid me to go... It's a snack. It's not work. But the, by the man-made rules that the scribes and the Pharisees had built up around the Sabbath, the disciples at that point had broken free of their rules. They'd pulled the heads off the stalk. That's harvesting. They'd rubbed it out in their hand. That's threshing. They'd blew the, blew the husk out of it. That's winnowing. Three things that they're not allowed to do on a Saturday. They'd broken the rules. Not God's rules. They had broken the man-made interpretation of God's rules. And what about Jesus? Well, he was in strife for healing on the Sabbath. 
See, this is the, the pedantic rule-keeping that actually oppresses us. It's not how it's intended. Uh, when I was a minister of another church, one of my parishioners, a lovely man, and I dearly loved him, came to me one day and he's very concerned that he'd seen me mowing my lawn on a Sunday. And he was real extra concerned because if he saw it, then others might have seen it as well. And what's that telling people? And, and I explained to him that for me, mowing my lawn was relaxation. Because when I spend my week in the office writing sermons and, and preparing RE lessons and, and preparing Bible studies and preparing for youth groups and then going running all of these events and, and visiting folk, for me, getting out in the garden, that's rest and relaxation. He disagreed. When I was a teenager, after church, there was a bunch of us who would every now and then go to the local primary school to, and have a hit of tennis. But there was one family, their kids weren't allowed to do that with us because that was work. Now, I could have understood that if, the, if their kids were professional tennis players making a living from it, but we were just having a bit of hit and giggle. It was just, there was nothing professional about it. Now, that's just a couple of examples of how something that God has given us to be freeing and to enjoy life starts getting used as something which is a bit twisted, legalised, weaponised even, and it just makes things unnecessarily unenjoyable. Let's come back to the Bible reading. We're only up to chapter 6 of Luke, and the scribes and the Pharisees are already starting to hate Jesus. And they're searching for evidence against him. And at this point, they think they've got it. They've been looking for this gotcha moment. Your disciples, they've been harvesting, threshing and winnowing on the Sabbath. Guilty, guilty. And Jesus' answer is quite intriguing. Basically, his answer is, well, King David broke the law too. He didn't say those words. But that's pretty much what it immediately appears like. What was Jesus' point? Was he saying two wrongs make a right? No. Or was it an example of case law that had become a precedent that now applied in his situation too? Well, that's getting closer, but that's not it either. Let me tell you what David did. David had been anointed to become the king, but at this stage he still wasn't the king. And the bloke who was king, Saul, hated him and he was trying to kill him. And so David and his men had to flee um, and they've been on the run and they're really hungry. And so they come to the priest at Nob and, and they ask him for some tucker. But the only tucker that, that he had was the holy bread from the tabernacle, which gets replaced every couple of days. And because David and his men was ceremonially clean, he showed compassion on them and he let them eat it. Even though by the letter of the law, that bread belonged to the Levitical priesthood. It was only the, the, the Levitical priests who were allowed to eat that by the letter of the law. So when Jesus puts that example before the scribes and the Pharisees, they found themselves in a bit of a predicament. If they held the disciples as being guilty for having a bit of a snack in a wheat field on a Saturday, 
What would they say about what King David and the priest had done? Jesus was drawing on the example of the priest's compassion to show that the, the tabernacle, the holy place of God, had not been profaned. Likewise, the disciples rubbing out a bit of a snack did not profane the Sabbath. You see, the, the scribes and the Pharisees were experts in judging others, but in Jesus, they'd met godly compassion and an undistorted view of justice and holiness. And Jesus makes a statement, and it's a very important statement, and I suspect we sort of only see this as secondary. You see, most of us, when we think of this story, we most of us think of Mark's account. Because Mark has that, that phrase in there that says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And that's the takeaway that most of us, we take home with us. True? Luke doesn't tell us that. Right? Luke tells us what he sees as the most important part of this thing. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now that's a pretty big claim. I don't know how the scribes and the Pharisees took that statement. It, it was probably one of the reasons they, that they pursued him all the way to the cross. But it's really telling us two things. That Jesus, the Son of Man, is reinterpreting to us the Sabbath the way that it was intended to be. We do not follow the rules of the scribes and the Pharisees because the son of, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. The scribes and the Pharisees are not Lord of the Sabbath. Man-made rules are not the Lord of the Sabbath. The son of man is Lord of Sabbath. And there's a second thing it tells us, but I'm going to just hold off on that for a bit. We'll get to it shortly. Right, so there's, a, there's another Sabbath controversy. Jesus goes to a synagogue. He's teaching there. And, and the scribes and the Pharisees are watching really carefully to see what he does because they, they're looking for their gotcha moment. And they can see there's a man with a withered hand there. He heals people. I bet he's going to heal this fella. Let, let, then we'll catch him. We'll have our evidence then. And Jesus knows their thoughts. And he says to the man with the withered hand, come here. And there with this very personal example of, of, of suffering, Standing there before them, Jesus asked the scribes and the Pharisees a question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? Now, if the purpose of the Sabbath is to keep it holy, if the purpose of the Sabbath is not to profane the Sabbath, that's a very simple question, isn't it? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? Well, to do good, of course. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to save life or to wreck it? Well, to save it, of course. The Son of Man is reinterpreting to us the Sabbath the way that it was intended. Yes, it is a day not to be profaned by profiteering, of course. But it's also a day to enjoy. It's also a day to do good. It's also a day to give life. 
How did the religious leaders react when, when the Lord of the Sabbath put them and their silly rules in place? Well, they're pretty cranky about it. No surprises there. They're filled with fury and they started discussing with one another just what they could do to Jesus. Of course, we know where that eventually led. It's because of that that they eventually had him crucified. And this is where I want to pick up the second point of what it means for Jesus to be Lord of the Sabbath. Back in that Colossians reading, Colossians chapter 2, it said, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in, in, in questions of food and drink with regard to the festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Right, Talking about all of these religious ceremonies and rules. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. How is the Sabbath a shadow of things to come? Well, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that. In verse 9 it says, So, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The Sabbath rest is resting from religious works. It's what Hebrews calls dead works. We repent of dead works. Uh, by the way, um, Hebrews makes a very important distinction between good works, which are a good thing, and dead works, which are a bad thing. Please do not let anyone ever try to tell you uh, that, that good works are a form of legalism that denies the gospel. That is a load of rubbish. In fact, we are told to excel in good works. What are we to repent of? We are to repent of dead works, religious works. That's what we leave behind. Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sin. There is no other sacrifice that can do that for us. And so we rest from dead works. We rest from religious works. We don't try to save ourselves by keeping all of the religious rules and laws and regulations and doing all of the right sacrifices and having all of the right seasons of the year that we celebrate. Jesus did all of the work that was required on the cross. Are you with me? We rest in Jesus by faith and by repentance of sin, we enter what the real Sabbath rest is. It's what the Sabbath has been looking forward to all of this time. We rest in Christ. Our faith is in him. Our confidence is in him. There is no more work required for our salvation. Jesus has done every bit of it. The work was all done on the cross and he has risen from the dead. We, as Christians, as the people of God, are now living essentially in the seventh day. Are you with me? Jesus did the work. Now we are living in the seventh day. 
That is why Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was looking forward to what Jesus would do. The Sabbath was only a shadow. The scribes and the Pharisees, they built up all of their rules and regulations to enforce what was only a shadow. But then they missed the reality. The Son of Man, the Lord of the Sabbath, did his work of salvation that we might rest. When we repent and believe in the Lord Jesus, we don't have to work for salvation anymore. So we enter a life of rest, not just one day out of seven. It is a permanent resting from works because we're alive in him. So if the Sabbath was a shadow of the rest that we now have in Christ Jesus, if the Sabbath law has now been fulfilled by, in an age of grace in which we now live, what now? Well, Jesus is still Lord of the Sabbath. The command of God remains the same, keep the Sabbath holy, do not profane it. Jesus taught us that having a day off a week is for our benefit. Why would we argue with that? He also taught us to do good. He also taught us it's not a legalistic rule. We're set free from asceticism, a pointless pedantic keeping of rules. But you know what? Something I've discovered is that the old covenant laws have a lot of wisdom that we disregard at our peril. Psalm 127 verse 2 says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I can see that's resonated with one couple there. You know that verse, do you? God gives rest. It's in vain that we do these things. It's our vanity that keeps us so busy. What's vanity? It means it's pointless. It's worthless. It's our vanity that keeps us so busy. How you going, busy? It's like saying, how you going, filled with vanity? It's empty. It's worthless to work and work and work and not rest. If our lifestyle or if our standard of living to which we've become accustomed or the standard of living that we're aiming for, if that means that I have little or no time for, for rest or relaxation or prayer or worship, or if I don't have time to do good, if I don't have time to be there when people need me, if I don't have time for fellowship, if, if that's the case, then there's something fundamentally wrong with the lifestyle that we pursue. It's all in vain. It's worthless. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. We rest from our dead works. We rest from our vain works, our pointless works. And every one of our days are holy to the Lord. 
It's about the rest and the worship of the saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, much of what we do in life is vanity. It's pointless. We thank you that through your Son, we enter the Sabbath rest, where we rest from dead works. We give you thanks for the forgiveness of sins that comes in his name. And Lord, as we live day by day in this Sabbath rest, help us to discard all that is vain. Help us to discard all that we strive to accomplish that is essentially meaningless. Lord, help us to not only keep the Sabbath holy, but to live holy lives every day of the week. Give us wisdom and a resolve to prioritise our lives in a way that honours you, that does good, that shows compassion and is filled with worship. In the name of Jesus, the Son of Man who is Lord of the Sabbath, Amen.